Peace and thank you, family, for tuning into Creative Habits Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Anthony. And I'm your co-host, Indigo. We're based in Washington, D.C. with leading discussions on topics surrounding pop culture, business, lifestyle, and art with an occasional guest appearance within the creative and entrepreneurial industry. What's up, beautiful people? Um, This is Creative Habits Podcast. We have a very special guest today, a singer, a songstress, a writer, and all-around amazing person. Um, She is a New York-based artist um, who has a a dynamic and eclectic contemporary soul fusion music. This sound is both energetic and angelic, creating... Uh, created by pairing soulful vocals with string instruments and electronic pulses. Um, we welcome Mickey Maats. How are you doing today? Hello. Hello. So, um, first of all, again, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate you taking the time out to um, speak with me. Um, tell me a little bit about your background and what got you started into music. Um, my family. Uh, I truly believe that my family is, they had such a diverse musical background. Um, I got a lot of culture and influence, um, from my grandparents and then more modern stuff from my siblings and my, um, and my mom, uh, everything from Rolling Stones to opera to, um, lots of hip hop, uh, disco house. Mm. Um, I got a lot of like psychedelic influence, blues influence. Um, and that's, that's where I'm at today. Um, I was listening to, uh, your album air and, um, the song that really like stuck out to me was, um, air I breathe. What was Mm. the, what was the, um, the thought process behind making that song? Um, for Air I Breathe, I definitely just wanted to kind of convey, I always want like somebody to resonate. So I try to think of familiar feelings, um, not just like in the writing process, because I feel like that's really spontaneous. But when I'm embellishing on the lyrics and finalizing things, mm. I kind of want people to be able to say, yeah, that's me. Or, you know, I resonate. So sometimes I'll say affirming things or things that are kind of um, familiar to people's uh, journey of growth. And I would say for sure that air I breathe is one of those things that I, I wanted people to know, like, it can be as easy as you say it is. Mm. Um, it can be as effortless as you need it to be. And, um, I kind of made that song to instill a confidence in not only myself, but anyone who would resonate with the song. Mm -hmm. What was the process behind finding your sound? I mean, you, you gave a background on, um, having a very eclectic upbringing, but what was the process for you to develop that very unique sound you had? Um, for me, I mean, I can, I think of it in stages because when I was young, I was still in a, in a creative stage music wise. Um, because 
Although, I mean, this process started when I was around seven, eight or nine. Um, through those ages, I had already started to sing and write music. Mm. Um, and it went from like what I would say would be like my bedroom stage where I'm just like scared to even tell my mom or my family like, oh, I'm in my room. I'm jamming out. I'm making songs like that was something that. Uh, I realized I wanted to keep private when I was like very young because I was afraid that they were going to say everything was cute. Mm. Um, that was, you know, I would dance, I would make up dances, make up songs and everyone would say it was cute. And that just really wasn't what I was <laughs> looking for out of it. I wanted people to be moved. I wanted them to, you know, not just be enamored by the fact that I was a child. So I was kind of sensitive to that. Um, and had like a bedroom era writing music in my, in the back of my composition notebooks from school mm. and, um, singing, jamming out to Michael Jackson and Mariah Carey. And then, um, I think I got to this point where I realized that other children also like to do this. So when I was about nine, 10, I started like a music group with other kids in the back of our school bus on our way <laughs> to school. And we would sing like TLC covers or we would make our own songs. And um, I was never really the main singer. I was really, really okay with, of course, doing all the work <laughs> and letting someone else sing all of the stuff that I was writing because I really didn't have much of a, uh, I was very passive. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was just like, oh, okay. Even though I knew I was the best, I would let other people be the main singer in all of our singing groups. And then I reached this point where I was like, wow, these people don't even want to be singers when they get older. And when people ask me if I wanted to be a singer, I would say no, um, because that's what everyone wanted, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I just wanted to be different. So I wouldn't really say how I was feeling. And then I got to an explosive, I guess I was really, really like that. Just very internalized, very private. And then when I got to high school, I met my best friend who is still my best friend and in my band, he, me and him make all of our music together. And, um, he met me like the first day of high school and was like, you're a singer you're meant to sing songs. Like you're meant to just do this. And I was like, no, I don't know. And it's so crazy because after the, after that conversation on like the first day of high school, he was like, no, this is what you're meant to do. And we're going to do this together. And here we are 10 years later. <laughs> this is what I'm doing. Um, we're doing it together. It's happening. Um, and, and it, it's weird. It took a lot of me hiding it and um, growing into it. Um, and the style definitely changed a lot over the years. When I was younger, it was a lot of R&B, Michael Jackson, um, just stuff they played on the radio. And then as I got older in high school, I listened to so much um, metal and hardcore, post-hardcore, all different kinds of like punk genres, screamo genres. I really was into heavy, heavy music. And I wanted to make heavier music. Um, and I'm not really getting back to those roots until now. Mm. Mm. So, um, which is interesting. So it, it's taking a lot. But even right now with the band, new members will come in. It changes the entire sound. And right now I can settle on like a psychedelic 
soul kind of vibe, but it, it's so hard to put a put a point on what exactly is happening because I can hear the 1950s doo-wop. I can mm. hear 1960s um, soul. I can hear 70s disco. I can hear 70s psychedelic. So I was like, you know, I really don't know what to call ourselves right now, but I know there's a lot of other people making what we're making and it's going to be its own genre soon, sooner than later. I mean, I, I love that because when you you turn on the radio or when you play certain playlists on Spotify or, or Tidal or whatnot, it's more of a cookie cutter sound. You know, it's like a lot of clones out there. But when I listen to your music, like um, one of my uh, another favorite song is Black Widow. Um, it's like a, a really a, a real breath of fresh air because it sounds so unique and so rich. It has that 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 I don't want to say alternative R and B soul uh, metal mix, but it's 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 definitely falls under a genre uh, in itself. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and when we perform it live, obviously we have the band and we get a little backing track, and we were able to perform Black Widow for the first time, and it is a lot more alternative when we are performing it live. Mm. Um, you know, the drummer is accentuating all of, I guess, the electronic parts and it, it gets, it gets heavier. So, and, and I'm like, wow, it makes me want to record with my band, like mm. different versions of these songs that I made. Um, so people can have an idea, like, we're, we're also this, like when you come to see us, this is what we sound like. And me by myself sounds entirely different. Mm. So what's your, your writing process? What, where do you gather inspiration? If it, is it life experiences? Is it, um, you know, things that you've been through or things that you've gone through? Like, tell me about that. Um, I definitely, write from experience. Um, but my, my writing process is interesting. Um, if I really like what I'm hearing sonically, if I go like, you know, my creative process to go to the studio or jam with other artists, that's how Mm. I start to write a song. Um, so once I hear something I like, or we start to co-produce a beat, co-produce some strings or whatever, words are in my head (laughs) sounds and like sentences are already forming and I kind of have to like catch this train and let it all out and I have to kind of now I've gotten hip to when this train is arriving and I will pull out my phone and start recording because I need to catch all of the like freestyling, I guess that's happening. Um, I'll start to come up with melodies, words, completely constructed verses. And if I catch it all, I have a song without even thinking. Um, but sometimes I miss that moment. Um, and I spend my whole time (laughs) in the studio trying to recreate whatever just happened in my head. Um, And that's, that's painstaking. That's why I was like, wow, being able to record part of my creative process is really what helps me lock in on all of the words. But back in the day, I would literally just write words and then bring them to my band. And then they would make sounds to whatever poetry or melody I gave them. And um, it was seemingly a harder process 
a lot more logical and I didn't get the same kind of spiritual result. I feel like there's something about the channeled lyrics that get people in their feelings more. Um, And I try to singularly write like that, even though I am a good uh, lyricist, you know? Tell me about your first performance. Mm -hmm. What was that feeling? Um, Mm -hmm. I know every performer, no matter what genre, has that strong feeling of butterflies within their their, their gut before they perform. Tell yeah. me, tell me, tell me the whole situation. Um, the first time I ever really performed, I was in high school. I mean, I've done like school performances and plays and things like that. And um, I mean, like the first time I ever had like a singing part, I was in a play and my best friend at the time pushed me off of the stage. Um <laughs> And that was like, wow. I was, that doesn't I was sound shocked. like a best friend. <laughs> I was shocked. I was really shocked. Um, I mean, it goes to show how jealous people can be, right? Come on. So, like, I want to go sing and she pushed me off of the stage and thought it was hilarious. And I was like, wow. Um, <laughs> but I mean, the first time I ever really like owned a performance. I mean, I remember auditioning for that. I sang Mariah Carey Hero and I was only 11 years old. And I remember them being like, you didn't get the main part. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know I didn't sing that good, but they were surprised at my audaciousness. Um, my, My choice in song was, I guess, uh difficult so they were like wow a fucking kid wants to sing mariah carey let's see how this goes over (laughs) and um like i said i mustn't have done that good because i didn't get the main part but they were like wow and i remember just being like well being bold in this field counts Mm. and um i just kept being bold and i remember freshman year of high school they asked us what we wanted for ourselves creatively and I remember getting half of the class to agree on a school talent show. And it's something that the school still does, um, which is awesome. Um, I don't like to take full credit for it, but like, hey, it was my idea. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I prepared for that. It was like at the end of the year. So we basically prepared for this talent show the entire year. And um, my band, Maid and I, we did a song. I think my first performance was of, uh, I think it was Frank Ocean. Mm. Uh, I think I did Frank Ocean, Bad Religion. Mm. And uh, my mom, thank you. Yeah, I I was like, I I love the way it made me feel. Um, And I was always super between pantheons and religions really young on from out of Catholic school. I was like, I must be an atheist or something. So I was very torn (laughs) about who I was and bad religion spoke to me. And um, I remember mom, my friends, my sister, they're not all, they know I sing, they know I write a little bit here and there, but obviously, you know, I didn't have complete autonomy and I didn't know I was like forming a band and how serious I was taking it. I would talk about it, but I guess, you know, it doesn't mean that it's serious. And um, they all came to support, to see what was going on. And I remember they were all in tears when I got off the stage. Mm. Um, like I said, I don't know if I did that good. It's just sometimes the words, my energy, it's, there's some kind of 
power that I realized I had. Um, and I, I needed it. <laughs> Once I tasted it, I needed it. Um, but I saw the, re- I was shocked by the reaction of everyone around me. Um, and that to me was kind of like, I guess, insecure high school me is like, wow, they didn't think I was going to be good. Mm-hmm. And so I really surprised them. Um, but I think now it was just when you're really young, um, it's very shocking to hear and see life portrayed, you know, by a, by a youth. Um, so I remember I had teachers that still are like, whoa, if you have shows, they, they try to come out, um, which is crazy. But That's really yeah. dope. That's really dope. Yeah, it's it's wild. Uh, and I still have like friends from high school. I mean, this has been almost 10 years and they, they come out to my shows. Um, they support me now more than they ever have in the, in the past. Um, but yeah, ever since those moments, I was like, I need this forever. <laughs> mm. So it it takes a lot of courage to go out there in front of people and reveal your, your vulnerability, you know, to the world. Um, what keeps you going? Um, hmm. I mean, I need to, right? That's like, once I develop the idea that this is like, this is me, this is how I am of service. And then how good it feels to me and everyone that I provide service to. So once I seen the impact, I understood that it was a duty and that duty has only been reinforced by people who do what I want to do even better and by more means. You know, there are people who are, um, I believe, maybe a little bit more successful than I am right now that um, are seeing the fruits of their labor. And those people have definitely reinforced in me that if you continue to do what you're supposed to do, you get what you're supposed to get. Right, right. right. Um, so so I, I know that it's, it, you know, nothing is for naught, that if I continue to take care of the world with my gift, then my gift will take care of me, too. Um, and so it's it's about persistence, but it's utmost. It's It's not even about it doesn't even feel like I need to be persistent. It's just. It's a machine inside of me that I feel like even if my body died, it's still it's still mm. trying to do this thing, um, creating, performing, entertaining, writing, um, being able to collaborate um, or get messages out is is a part of my entire existence. It's the only reason it's the only thing that makes me feel like I I could die and be, mm. happy, you know, mm. Um, and I'm at that point where I'm like, wow, there's so much that I want to do, but I could say that I could die and be happy because I'd have done a lot of the things that I wanted to do and my, and I'm still very young. So I'm grateful. And, um, and I try to, to eat that in small bites because I have giant goals. I want more, I want bigger, you know, (laughs) Um, and you know, I don't tie myself to maybe the accomplishments or the accolades, but I, I just want to be able to be so comfortable and I want everyone else in my life to be so comfortable as well. It's definitely a, a spiritual thing, you know, um, the, the, the primal aspect of 
the call and response, you know, the, the percussions of the drums are like representative of heartbeats. When I look at like old shows of, when I look on YouTube of old shows of like Bob Marley or James Brown, and mm-hmm. I see them in that element, you know, as church would say they caught the Holy Spirit up there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like caption, once they're in that zone and, and, you, and you feel the, the energy of the crowd, you know, feeding you. Have you ever felt that during like any particular performance? Every performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a channeler. Um, and I actually, as, as a spirit, I mean, I'd like to think of myself as a spiritual person. I put a lot of energy and time and ritual um, into making space in my body for this God to come in for truth to come in or for inspiration or influence to, to move me over and, and put itself first. Um, and the energy of the band only amplifies that and charges us. Mm. So spiritually and, 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 you know, with, with more intention as well. So it's like my intention the things I've done before performance um, or in my life and then layers of like what's happening because of the words I'm saying. Mm. So, so the words have its own sphere of influence. The ritual has its own sphere of influence. And then the intention of whatever I choose is also there. And that's magic. (laughs) You know, that's three layers of magic being wielded by six people on a stage. So it can it can get really intense. And I'm sure if my band knew a little bit more about what I was doing spiritually, it would be even more powerful. Mm. <laughs> but um, but, you know, it, it's one of those things where I, I watch a lot of those really crazy Holy Spirit performers. Um, mm. Janis Joplin being one of my favorite mm. um, to the point where she would forget she would just lose words. She would contort just, you know, and yeah. that for some reason people need to feel that state of vulnerability. Wow. You're on stage and you don't care about sounding, looking, or being perfect. That's already like one layer that is really powerful. But then, like I said, the intention, the energy, the channeling, whatever gods and ancestors want to be present for this, it, it changes it. Um, But I'm a healer. So I know with my words and with my intention, I'm pulling a lot of the negative energy out of the room and it cycles through me Mm. and goes to God or goes to the universe or to source. And then by the end of the show, something else comes down to me and then through me. And um, it's usually an emotional experience for a lot of people. Um, And I've kind of now, I haven't mastered it, but I, I know how to do it every time, whether it's a small room or a big room or it's just me and one person. I know how to just turn this part of my brain on where I mm. leave. <laughs> I, I, I love that. And I love the, 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 the word you used as ritual. It reminds me of, you know, the natives in America doing rain dances. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of... Um, um, aboriginals in australia playing the um i don't know what the word is like a big pipe didgeridoo that one it it, (laughs) it reminds me of you know africans just 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 calling upon the ancestors with percussion and song it Mm -hmm. it gives us a small glimpse of our connection with each other which makes us all relatable at the end of the day yes Mm mm-hmm 
and and I, it can come through any skilled musician. Mm. I feel like, um, you know, like any instrument, they always say you need to learn the rules, then you can break the rules. Um, and then, you know, that's what Jimi Hendrix did. He learned a little bit of rules and then broke all of them yeah. and became what most people say, what the most talented guitarist in the world, um, next to Carlos Santana, um, who was his influence, right? right? It's like, wow. And then you can see how one thing goes from the next thing and becomes even greater. Um, especially through reverence, even through reverence. He was just like, wow, that was amazing. Watching you be amazing made me amazing. Um, some maybe even more amazing than you. Mm. And um, it's it's crazy. It's crazy how that happens. Um, I mean, Janis Joplin did that with Otis Redding. Mm. She she had the opportunity to sing. She'd been singing all over her town. Uh, you get famous when you're in a small town singing in bars and stuff. And um, she got famous. They offered her a huge opportunity with uh, Big Brother and Holding Company, which was just a huge band at the time. And she said, all right, got to see Otis Redding perform for the first time and seeing him on there, like having his schisms. Oh, baby, 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 baby. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she was like stuck. Mm -hmm. She was glued. And she said, like, I, I need to do that every time I perform and did. And um, when I watched that story and seeing her do that, and I mean, that's how I looked at a lot of performers and that's how I move now. And that's how people look at me when they perform or they're, you know, so mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting how you can see, you're like, wow, you can go deeper. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then once you learn that you can go deeper, that's all you do. And you can go so many places from that one point of mastery, mm -hmm. like, you know, um, even the most talented singers vocally do that when they can hit every single note. Um, they learned all of that diligently. Now what they do is just make noise. Mm. They go on stage and they're like, oh! <laughs> you know, yeah. they're playing with like whistle tones. They don't yeah. care if it sounds ugly. Um, it's not even about that anymore. It's just about, I guess, playing. Tell me a little bit more about your your musical influences. Um, let's say on a Sunday, um, what do you listen to while you're cleaning up? <laughs> you know, Sade. Mm. You know, Sade got to be on your Sunday playlist. <laughs> um, uh, some Sade, for sure, especially as of late. Um, Donna Summer. Um, I want to say... I've been feeling, uh, I don't know, like that poetic kind of music. Um, and I've been reclaiming maybe how I feel about 80s music um, by, you know, just going through the diversity of it, really. Because I'm like, 80s music isn't one sound. So I've been going through diversity in 80s um, because it's something that I never really liked. And I'm realizing that I have to look, I have to do more research and yeah. there's tons of things that I like. So I was like, wow, there's a lot of funk and a lot of um, soul uh, and like disco and house that I can honestly say that I'm getting a hankering for now. Um, but Donna Summer for sure. And um, I'm trying to think of anything else. There's been this really, really theatrical operatic singer named uh, Benjamin Clementine. Never heard um, of him. Yeah, very obscure. Um, storytelling, it's kind of like theater. It's like you're listening to a play. 
Um, they're telling a story. Sometimes it's a, it's a tragedy. Um, but their, their tenor, their voice is very, it's very operatic. So you're just like, wow. And for me, listening to people who play, play with their voice, play with creating a song. Um, it's, it's very, it's very telling of their skill. And, um, I love to just watch and listen to artists that, that do that. Like Moses Sumney, um, or Serpent with Feet, mm. they can kind of become an entire world and not just singing a song. Mm, I love that. Um, what, kind, what kind of emotions do you try to evoke with your music? Mm. Um, any, any feeling, any feeling is good for me. Um, I learned that early on. I was like, if I can just get you to feel anything, <laughs> that's that's good enough. But um, as of late, like I mean, when I first broke out with my uh, with with air as an EP as a collection, I wanted them to resonate with me. I wanted people to know that um, I'm not looking to make myself an untouchable caricature mm. of perfection. And, um, I wanted people to very much see and feel that I'm human, that I've experienced death. Um, uh, and that I'm, I'm confident and I love myself. Um, even though I have insecurities, mm. um, that I've been heartbroken and I have moody days. Um, so I, I, I learned from my peers and my mentors that, um, it's really important for me to, when I break out, to be relatable. Because if I wasn't relatable, I would be untouchable. Mm. Um, and now that I'm outside of that, I mean, because I guess I can come off as bubble gummy, as people would say. <laughs> so um, I wanted them to know that I have feelings and not everything is all sunshine and bubbles. But I'm finna give you some sunshine and bubbles. <laughs> I mean, that's important because us as humans become, we have a, 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 an infinite array of emotions, you know, and it all of these emotions are important and intricate in our completion as humans. You know what I mean? We can't run from them. We can't hide from them. We have to live through that in order to be to be our, our full selves. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I encourage when I was younger, it's like, if you were in a box creatively, I would want you to stay in that box. But now more than ever, I'm understanding that artists aren't machines. Mm. They are creators. And so they're going to create sometimes similar things to what you've heard from them and sometimes different things. And all that matters is that they're embracing that process. And as long as they embrace it, you're bound to enjoy it. You're going to feel whatever that person put into that song. So I, I try to put the, the best or at least the truth. That's, it's not always about the best feelings. Sometimes it's just about the truth. Um, for me, it just boils down to that, right? It's like, it's as long as it's honest. And um, that takes a level of vulnerability that even, you know, through hearing other artists, you can always be more vulnerable. <laughs> You know, people are over here talking about their body parts and whatnot. 
um, which I think is very private, you know? So it's, it's interesting when people can talk about death and relationships or having made mistakes or feeling like they could do better. Um, I love, I love to hear the variety of human, um, and then what sound they like to pair with their feeling is always interesting to watch too. Mm. Um, but I, I really try to come off as, as positive as possible. Um, while maintaining my, uh, relatability. Mm. Tell me about some challenges you had to go through as an art, an artist. Um, I mean, lots, of <laughs> lots and lots of challenges. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's a part of you that is embracing your career or your focus so much that um, everything that doesn't have to do with that can fall away um, mm-hmm. or seem less important. Um, like friends or family, just if it doesn't have anything to do with where I'm trying to go, it just seems almost pointless. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm learning more than ever now that I need people to support my career in order for me to even feel kindred with them. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something that just I never needed before. But at this stage in my life, I'm like, if you haven't learned to support someone's career, especially a career that's so fun and giving, it's not like I'm an accountant and I need you to let me be your accountant. It's like, mm. no, you know, you listen to music. Cool. Throw my song in the, in the rotation. Or like you go mm. to see shows, you go to bars. Cool. Come to one while I'm there performing. It's it's very simple, relatively tasks. And I realize that not a lot of people can uphold those tasks. And that must be something personal and not that they don't do those things because mm. they do. Because <laughs> they do. Um, and um, it's just interesting. So I'm realizing now that I'm a little bit like, if you don't come to my shows, you don't listen to my music, you don't choose to do those things, I really don't want you around. Um that's my life and that's my gift to the people around me and the people who are closest to me should partake in that gift more than anyone. Mm. Um, yeah. And then I'm also learning that, you know, uh, you can't throw money at everything (laughs) because even when you do, it gets people to act right. But if they don't act right after you throw money at it, you just end up even more disappointed. Mm. Um, And another thing I learned is that um, you should just always get a copy of everything all the time, no matter who you're working with, even if you have to pay for material before it's ready. Mm. I would rather just say I have it on my hard drive. I don't know who's or what's burnt down or why they don't have a backup or fireproof safe or anything like that. However, it's just like knowing that I did the bare minimum to protect myself um, while still being, you know, it's just professional. I have to trust me before I trust anyone. And I'm learning now that I have to do things that maybe rub people the wrong way to make sure that my, my ass is covered in the end because I've had a lot of tragedy, senseless tragedy. Um, surrounding, you know, things that should have been preserved. On your first point, I just wanted to, you know, piggyback on that. Um, My grandfather always told me, people love to see you doing well, but never better than them. Mm -hmm. And number two, 
people will often put their limitations on you. You yeah. know, so if somebody says, oh, I can't do that. She can't do that because I can't do that. That's them putting their limitations on you, yeah. you know, and they won't support you as much yeah. as you think they should because, you know, maybe it's a jealousy aspect or maybe they're insecure about their own being. But my only suggestion suggestion to you is to continue to focus on making the amazing work that you're doing now because it's going to pay off regardless. Thank you. You know, it's, it's manifest. It's, it's the, 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 the thing about manifesting, you putting that, that positive energy towards the world is going to come back to you 10 times fold. So, you know, just, just keep doing that good stuff that you're doing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I got to keep at it. I mean, and, and being able to see other people succeed and win, um, makes it, it, it shows me that I'm already winning. Mm. Um, other people's success is my success. Me being able to perceive success is my success. So, um, if you're winning, I'm happy for you. Um, most of the time it's like, yep, if you're doing it, that means I'm doing it. And that's great. (laughs) Um, how do you balance creativity? Um, your personal social life and, and work maybe like, how do you balance? So where do you take the time out for yourself? Self-care, self-love, whatever. It's so interesting. Um, <laughs> I live very different from other people. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think I, I'm American. I have the privilege. Um, thank God I have the support and the privilege mm-hmm. to only do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no nine to five. There is only Mickey Maat and Co. <laughs> So how we keep the lights on and the water running is happens to be how I take care of myself. Nice. Um, so it's, it's great. Um, even with all of my side hustles, they are still involving healing um, for the people that I work with. So there's just a never ending um, chain of abundance in, in all of the gifts that I've chosen to bring me money. Um, which is amazing because it, like I said, it, it pays me in more than one way. Mm. Um, uh, my professional uh, expertise before, I guess, pursuing music full time was being a cosmetologist. So doing hair, makeup um, and uh, like sometimes doing it at photo shoots or in salons, whatever. I was constantly mm. between different kinds of things. But even today doing that is like, I get to make you look beautiful. I get to be creative and I get to make money Mm. and you're like, Oh, I feel good. I love (laughs) you. It's like, I get so many gifts from just one thing. And then my next thing is I am a psychic, um, like full time. Mm. So there's this place that I work out of, um, very interesting characters. And (laughs) I mean, if someone sits in my chair, that's a blessing because I get to help them. And I'm very specific with how I read. It's not just like fact reading. Um, you're this, you're going to have this, you go through this. It's just very, um, 
helpful. I try to be as helpful as possible. It's like, I know the counter actions for all of these cards I've taken. So, I mean, I've, I've been studying tarot for almost 10 years now. Mm. So, um, I'm able to help people so much more, even with the tarot cards. So everything that I choose that makes me money happens to pay in so many ways. That's good. But what about the the self-care part? That for me is self-care. I can't explain Mm. it. I do those things to calm down, like having like, you know what I mean? Um, It's doing it for myself is actually just as good as me being able to do it for someone else. Mm. Um, And I get their energy return. So whenever I do something like this for someone, there is always someone else on my team, not the people that just got the service. There's someone else on my support team that is ready Mm. to offer whatever it is that I just did. Um, And it's amazing being around other healers. That's really what it is. Being able to be around other healers um, or people who knows what it like, they know what it takes to mm. um, to to be, I guess, like a, this is like modern day high priestess. Like we're teaching, channeling, performing, mastering beauty and health. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a lot. It's, it's mm-hmm. like modern day high priestess. So we're we no high priestess was caught without uh, a whole team to take care of them. You know, or if they didn't have a day to to reflect or to train, then, you know, they, they were doing themselves a disservice. It couldn't be of help to other people. Mm. So, I mean, I, I try to make a good balance. But what happens is the people around me take care of me and I make sure that I keep people around me that take care of me because I know I'm never going to stop trying to take care of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why I become critical with who who supports and who shows up in my life and how easy it is to support me, how easy I make it, how free I make it to support me, you know, and if you don't follow that, then there's really no need for you in my life because I know I need the support yeah. Um, yeah. For, for the things that I do in order to sustain, you know. But I, I also, another thing that I do for myself is train, which I guess some people say is like, well, that is, isn't that physical? How do you, yeah. how is that self-care? But it is, it is. Being able to move your body is something that I guess I forget about um, yeah. on, in the age of the internet. Um, even though I, I think I'm active, I, I do, I am idle a lot of the time from the computer on my phone or sitting, or if I'm touring, you're sitting down in a car. Like, I'm like, wow, there's going to be a lot of time where I'm just sitting down. So one week, I mean, for, for the past couple of years, I've been doing C-Lot, but once a week, this entire year, I've been doing C-Lot every Tuesday, mm. um, which has been amazing. And I've been gaining muscle which is like unexpected. I just thought maybe I'd pick up skill, but I was like, wow, I'm actually getting strong from this. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah it's, it's something that clears my mind. It helps me focus in on my health. I learned traditional ways to heal with mantra and with movement. Mm. Um, and then I learned how to protect myself. And that's like an even better gift. It's like, wow, I can heal and kill with the same. same (laughs) I can, I can agree with that. Um, For the last two years, um, 
I work out five days a week, you know, and right after I work out, I meditate for at least 15 to 20 minutes every day, you know, and it, it, it really helped me to clear my mind and become more calmer. And um, I notice what's going on around me a lot more, like everything is more vivid. You know what I yeah. mean? So I totally suggest that anybody, everybody should, uh, you know, work out your body and work out your mind. Because it's all, your, your brain is a big muscle too, you know? Yes. So you got to work that out as well. But yeah. um, I, I definitely... And there's certain parts of your brain that can only be highlighted through motion. Right, right. So I'm I'm learning that more than ever. My my guru, uh, he's, he's, he's Indonesian, Silat. Mm. Silat masters are usually from Indonesia. Um, and he, uh, he he literally is like teaching me to move my leg in one direction and my arms in the other. And my brain doesn't always let me do that. And he's just like, yeah, I know. I got you. <laughs> you know, it's like you're telling your brain to go one way and the other way at the same time. And that is a workout mentally. So right. you're just practicing kicking in one direction and pushing your arm in the other. It just It's like you're folding yourself into a pretzel. And like, you know, from just training these little tiny things, I'm realizing my brain is doing a lot of work, um, getting a mental workout, which I think is probably, I mean, I love the physical aspect, but it's, I think that's the more invigorating part is the, the, the mental, you know, being able it's to important. say like, yeah, yeah, it, it, and it's and it helps you. It makes you healthy. It helps you more in tune with your body. Like you can hear and feel all parts of your body, um, which is amazing. And then being able to hear your opponent. Like we practice something called a uh, rasa, uh, rasa tingbangan. Like tingbangan is like a point to point. So it's like if you held up your hand right now, we would still be tingbangan through video chat. <laughs> mm. So. Fighting is all point to point, hand to hand, arm to arm. And um, rasa is like being able to use your intuition to move. Mm. So when we do rasa timbangan, it's two of us with our eyes closed. And we're fighting with our eyes closed. So it's um, like you when you feel somebody behind you without looking at them. Yeah. That, 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 that same intuition type feeling. Yes. Yeah. And so we train that. We train that intuition. So even if my eyes were closed, I could catch your hand, you know? Um, So it's like one of those things where you, from even my first day training, I realized that we're all naturally attuned. We all naturally know and feel that. Um, And day by day, choosing to hone in on that only makes you more precise. Mm. So not only can I just sense someone around me, which I think every human being who hasn't trained can, you can sense when someone has walked into the room. You can feel when someone is right behind you. Um, but when you are training your rasa, like you're literally like, I can feel someone walk in my building. Mm. And, you know, and you'll know way before someone gets to your door. Um, the sensitivity level is intense, but it, and your observation level becomes intense. Um, but it's a, it's a gift because you know danger before 
danger knows you. <laughs> Yo, I can attest to that. I've been doing that my whole life. I'm see, I'm from DC, well, Maryland, close to DC, right? right. And it's kind of like the hood part. So whenever right. me and my boys would go to a party or something, and I could sense like the bad energy, I'd be like, nah, y'all go ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna go the opposite way. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I've yep. been flexing that muscle for a long time. <laughs> right. Right. And it develops in so many different ways. It has yeah. the ability to, to to go so many different places. But it's it's so interesting um, developing that um, at this stage in my life, um, knowing that I'm going to only get <laughs> I'm only going to develop a stronger connection and uh, more intuition as long as I continue to to pursue and practice. Which I think is, is awesome. So my my guru his grandparents died in well past their hundreds. Mm. Um, so, so for me, it's like, okay, it's a, it's a living testament. Like if you take care of your body, it'll take care of you. If you keep putting all of your energy into your music, it'll feed everyone who hears it. Yes. So it just, you know, I, I know right now I'm in a state where I'm just continuously filling up my well um it's very rigorous and i guess maybe one of the more physical periods i'll probably ever have in my life unless i decide to become even more physical <laughs> unless i decide to become like an olympicist which is at this point i'm like wow might be a it could be reality for any of us to just up and decide to turn on the next gear so nothing's off limits mm. Um, just a few more questions for you. How do you market your music? Okay, that's a great question. Um, I do all of my marketing and um, SEO, anything myself. It's just it's been a headache. It's been something that I had to learn to do. But uh, my marketing pretty much gets done. I narrow in on my demographic through my listeners. So... Um, I go on my Spotify for artists, my Apple music for artists, and I see where people are organically checking out my music. Um, I say organically knowing that a large stream of it could be coming from my Instagram, but once you're in the circuits, it kind of does its own thing. So a small percentage of my listeners are from people who've seen me online, which I know has a worldwide exposure point. Um, but I narrow in on where people are listening mostly, um, or even just for the week. Um, and I'll do target ads, uh, if I have money for my music video posts, which I feel like because everyone is just so visually based, they don't mm-hmm. want to hear about, Hey, I wrote a song. They don't care about that. They want to see the song and they want to see it pretty now. Um, so once I put my money into the, into the video, I, I try to market it, but there's no limit unless I guess you did something that wasn't, uh, that didn't age well, but I don't, I don't have music like that. I feel like it, it can, I could post this in 1970, do good, post it in 2020, 22 and it'd sound good. Cause so, you know, it doesn't age out and I don't feel like I could put ads on it five years from now and it'll do good. So it's like, I try to tell people like you make music that ages well, never stop putting ads on your first video. Mm. Why would you stop? Just, just keep putting ads on it. Um, just right now I want to be able to have enough money to rack everything up to about like 10,000 views and then, you know, see what happens. 
from that layer. It's really a numbers game. You get everything up to 10,000 people um, start to offer you things. <laughs> and not only that, you can kind of have some leverage with the amount of money you spent. It really has nothing to do with organic streams or views. There is no one so talented to get 10,000 views instantly. They paid for it somewhere. Mm. They paid for it with the microphone, the rehearsal. They paid for it with school. They paid for it with the recording studio. They paid for it with the ad. They paid for it by hiring a, a company to push one song. So it's like, it's a combination of all of these little things moving, um, but it's all money. Mm. Um, so I realized that once you put money here, you put money there, you put money there, you put a little bit. Here. It's about investing. This is an investing game. You are you invest- your biggest investment. Yeah. And I'm realizing that. I'm like, okay, well, I need to have good equipment. So that's always the first investment that people make. But I'm realizing that investment needs to be treated well by other things that are high quality. You can't have high quality sound and put no ads into a music video. Mm. That's crazy. You spent $20,000 on a music video and you're going to what? spend a hundred bucks for people to Mm. see it. (laughs) you got to put 40,000 for people to see it. So it's like, I'm learning, you got to duplicate whatever you spent on it in ads in order to circulate it because it doesn't circulate without money. Mm. All right. For my um, final question, this is a deep one. Mm. What's the hardest part about being you? Mm, I kind of love that question. Is that weird? Is it? I don't know. Um, I'm like, oh, someone who wants me to complain. No. <laughs> um, the hardest part about being me, honestly, I don't take the name Ma'at lightly. I did not even give it to myself. It just happened to me. Ma'at is truth and justice. Mm. Um, and like I said, I've done so much ritual that Ma'at hops in without Mickey ever knowing (laughs) or Mickey ever trying sometimes. And um, I think it's sometimes the inner knowing, just knowing the truth, knowing what's right. I know that that, that's become subjective, but when it becomes ma'at, you already know what's, what's right and what's wrong. You know, your Jiminy Cricket. My Jiminy Cricket has always been incredibly loud and incredibly strong. I know when I'm doing something wrong well before I've decided to do it. And I can kind of pick up on other people's Jiminy Cricket too. I know when they're doing wrong before they're willing to say it. Mm. And um, that's very, very hard. And I think that's why I make music rather than sometimes having hard conversation with people um, because, you know, their journey is their journey and you can't lead everyone to the water. You can't make everybody drink. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where I'm like, I can watch and see and know and not still not be able to do anything about it. And that's hard. It's like when you, especially it's like, I wrote the book, you know, <laughs> or you're like, I, I made this mistake for all of us. So you don't have to do this. And um, it's one of those things where, you know, you can learn as much as you can learn. It doesn't mean everyone else knows what you know. And you can try to tell them. You could make it fancy. You could turn into Jesus Christ and give them water and wine. And guess what? 
people are still going to be people. Yeah. And um, that's what's really hard is that I'm doing all of this, obviously not just because I need to do it, but it's out of my love to be there for people in a way that I need to be. <laughs> and it's not attached to my sense of self. It's attached to my sense of service. And um, man, when you can't be of service, when that's all you came here to do, that could that could really feel like you're not here for yourself. So mm. I try to make everything about me <laughs> to make up for it. So it's like everything I do is for other people, but I have to make everything about me in order for this to be uh, a good life, a good experience for myself. Hey, man, you got to do what you got to do, you know, and, and some of us just have to learn the hard way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but that's 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 a good thing to conclude on. I want to thank you again for taking the time out to have this chat. I really love your your art, your music, your style. Um, how can people get in contact or, you know, check out some of your, your music or your videos? Uh, give them your socials. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Um, everyone can find me as Mickey Maat um, on on every on every platform: YouTube, Apple, Title, Spotify, Bandcamp. M I K K I M I I Fudge. M I K K I M A A T. Mickey Maat on Instagram, Mickey Ma on Spotify, everything that you could listen to music on, I am there. I have made it easy <laughs> for you to support. So um, anywhere from even Googling my name, if, if you're not social media savvy, if you Google my name, a Facebook page will pop up. Um, someplace where you can conveniently listen to things if you're not into all of those streaming apps. So. That's wonderful. Um I really appreciate it again. Um, we just recently hit a, a major milestone. We hit 33 countries this year, um, uh, over 767 streams in, in a couple of weeks. So hopefully some of our listeners who do not know you yet can can cross that bridge and really, you know, listen and, and, and enjoy your music like we do. That would be phenomenal. Thank you so much for sharing your platform. No, it's all good. It's all good. Thanks again. Peace. Yes, peace.